0: Amazon bestselling author, Troy L. Love.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Finding Peace podcast. I'm really excited today because I have a really good friend of mine who's joined me on the podcast, and I wanted to share a little bit about how I met him. So I was attending a group for professionals just to get some support and feedback in our journeys together. And... and Lee was one of the guys that was on the group and I I thought, hey, he looks like somebody that I would like to get to know. Some of you have listened to the podcast before where I had Matt Wheeler on and Matt's the kind of guy where if he sees somebody that he wants to know, he will go right up to them and he will start talking to them. But that's totally not me. I, I will hold back and I will sit and wonder and think and let my shadows of shame beat me up a little bit before i'll go over and talk to somebody so i see lee there and i think hey he is somebody that i definitely want to get to know i I like what he's been saying he has a really good energy i think i i want to get to know him a little bit better so as soon as i said that my shadows showed up my judge started saying uh he's probably gonna think that you're an idiot he doesn't want to be your friend. He why would he want to be your friend? He's got better things to do than to want to spend time with you. Just all kinds of negative talk that my judge is telling me. And my impotent one is saying, Yeah, nobody ever wants to be your friend. He'll probably say no anyway. So don't bother. Don't waste your time. And so they're talking to me and I kinda of had to part the C's, as it were, and tell them, hey, I'm I'm gonna reach out to him because I, I need more connection in my life. So I finally got up the courage to text him and say, hey, uh, would you mind if I called you or texted you later? later? And, and Lee said, sure. And he gave me his phone number and it was on a Zoom meeting. And then the Zoom meeting ended and I had forgotten to write down his phone number. And so all of a sudden the judge shows up again and says, dude, you are a freaking idiot. What's wrong with you? Now he really is going to think that you don't want to be his friend He's going to be, he's going to think that you're stupid because he can't even write down a dang phone number. Oh, and I had to again tell the judge, thank you. I know you're just trying to take care of me, but that's not really helping. So, luckily, a couple of weeks later, we were in the meeting again and he was there. And so I sheepishly said, hey, I'm so sorry. I did not write your phone number down. I wasn't trying to ignore you, but I really, would like to connect with you. Would it be okay? And he said, yeah, no worries. And from there we began texting each other, doing some Marco Polos, even having some phone calls with each other. And in a very short period of time, I would say that Lee has become one of my very good friends. So I would like to introduce you all to Lee Atwood. He is a registered provisional psychologist practicing in Alberta, Canada. And he's done a lot of research in sex and porn addiction. And his areas of special t- specialization include addiction, working with couples and parents. He also helps people as they work through issues of anxiety and and depression. So Lee, thank you so much for being willing to be on the podcast with me today.
2: Yeah, thanks, Troy. This is very exciting. And uh, by the way, as you talk about uh, your judge and uh, demons and shame and all that come up, as you didn't call me or anything initially there, uh, evidence how our stories influence us so much. And none of that was coming up for me. (laughs) I didn't have these judgments towards you at all. Uh, It was quite a chill week, right? I just thought, I'll see you next week. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> so uh, evidence uh, of our personal stories and the influence they have.
1: Yeah, it is crazy just how much those stories can sabotage our lives. And That's really one of the things that you and I talked about talking about here. We share some favorite authors, um, as it were. We both love Lord of the Rings. We lo- both love Brandon Sanderson. I don't know how much you love Star Wars, but anybody who spends <laughs> ten minutes with me knows that I love Star Wars. And all of that has to do with the hero's journey. And each one of those stories, Harry Potter, there's many thousands of examples mm. of the hero's journey. But as you and I were been talking together, that's something that you are really passionate about. So in your in your mind, what can we learn from the hero's journey? What does that mean? How does it relate to our own stories? Definitely.
2: So, um, you know, when I sit down with clients, and this passion, I just can't help myself; it comes out. At some point, I'm always asking clients, "What movies do you watch? What books do you read?" And we can actually look at the stories that they're looking at in their own lives, usually for recreation. I'm I may be a weirdo, and I like to analyze these kinds of things, but we can see that there's these great messages there, and that these stories really provide a reflection for our own journeys but they also teach us how to hold our stories as opposed to struggling with them inside. So what I'm doing when I'm watching movies, um, yeah, whether it's Lord of the Rings, I've watched this hundreds of times probably now, (laughs) um, is I'm noticing, though, that there's certain characters I really like and certain characters I don't like. And so I thought, what's the difference between these characters? And it really just comes down to their story right maybe you could say there's an overall story that's the movie or that's the book but what's this character's arc and maybe you've seen that in movies or a show um i think about like just randomly one of these side characters will become an addict And the show will try to emphasize this to help us feel empathy for this person or something. Uh, But it's really just, it was out of nowhere. They're not really giving us a story. And then, of course, three episodes later, that plot point is done. And this character is fine now. And that just always bothers me, right, when we see this kind of writing. And then, of course, we get the good stories where we really connect with these characters. And sometimes you don't even realize that that's what you are struggling with. But when you saw it on the screen or in the page... you want, wow, I I know this. I feel this way too. Um, Speaking of Brandon Sanderson, he he starts off one of his books, uh, The Way of Kings, with a character who's depressed. And immediately I'm like, I dig this guy. (laughs) (laughs) I can relate to these terrible feelings, right? Uh, And so Sanderson is, you know, he's the best, I think, out there with doing this. But uh, so I was looking at the hero's journey and Uh, if you you don't know or others don't know, that there's an actual plot structure that these people are following. And uh, one of the best-known people who does this is Joseph Campbell, who's coined this, uh, the hero's journey or the monomyth. And he talks about these different plot structures and what this looks like. So I'm really excited about this. And I come up to my kitchen and erase the whiteboard. My wife's sitting there. And I start lining out all these things of a plot. And here we have this trial, and here we have this transformation, and here we get the mentor, and looking at all these things that are just very, very exciting to me. And she just looks over with this flat look, and it's like, Lee, that's not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> and she wasn't saying that's not how the movies work and stuff, but she's saying our lives are not this simple, and that in some ways, you know, if we kind of just take this cookie cutter, here's the beginning, middle, end. we can invalidate a lot of this pain. So that really got me thinking, what can we learn from the hero's journey? What is the lesson here for us? Right. So, uh, mm. so let's start off maybe with uh, clarifying what we mean by the hero's journey. Uh, uh, you know, we'll use some examples here about movies and shows and uh i'll share some parts of my own life too as it's as it comes up but in the hero's journey there's essentially three parts Uh, there's the hero's departure the hero's transformation by great trials and then the hero's return and so kind of what we see is this, um, like you mentioned, Star Wars, um, and Sanderson has stuff out there on Star Wars who talks about this in the hero's journey. But like Luke is just totally fine and dandy, and he gets as much as he says he wants to go out into the world. He doesn't really, uh, because when the call comes, he he doesn't take it right? And then mm-hmm. he's forced into it. And through this, we see him pick up that mentor and his allies along the way, but eventually he's alone in this journey. And so there's this kind of process. And so we see this in TV and film and books and things, and then, uh, but kind of one of the hardest parts of this is that, uh, when we come to this lowest point that we really are alone, we feel alone. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. and that we kind of go through this really difficult transformation And when I'm working with clients, I can see them at this part. They've already been forced out into the journey. And now here they are. They're going through this transformation, but they're struggling and they get stuck there. And for years, people can struggle with this. And it's a really painful thing. So we can look at the hero's journey to go, hey, what can we learn from this that helps these characters go through that maybe we can help ourselves in this way? So I practice acceptance and commitment therapy, among other things. But I really like acceptance and commitment therapy, or or ACT, as we call it. And we really do a lot of this uh, meta-emotional work. How do you feel about feelings? And so when we look at the story that you're in, how do you feel about your story? And just like when I'm watching a movie or something, and I see that character, I'm like, just get off the screen, I don't really like you. Uh, Sometimes it happens with clients too, that I'm listening to their story and I'm going, I am missing something big. For some reason, I don't really care as I'm listening, which kind of sounds mean, but the client actually doesn't care either, right? They're, they're usually, if we're talking about sex addiction, they're saying something like, oh yeah, I relapsed a bunch of times this week. Uh, I don't really know why I did this. I guess I'm just a bad person, uh, but I'm also a really sexual person. So I'm going to just keep doing this. I don't know what to do. And it's just like, hey, you know, like I feel for you, but I'm really missing something. And then when we start to look into that story, we find that there's this huge thing behind this, huge meaning that is being untapped. So we have to look deeper into that. So we can look at uh, the hero's departure, right? So let's take um, Lord of the Rings, for example, because I love this movie so much. Uh, I've read the books as well, but I love the movies. They're well done. And let's say, Troy, that you've never seen it before. And so then I plunk you in at one of the low moments of Frodo, the main character's journey. And so you see him, with no context, obsessively petting a golden ring around his neck. Or you see him yelling at his friend, eventually pulling a sword on him, even though his friend is just trying to help. Uh, He's ultimately breaking his promise to destroy this ring, as we can see the different ways that he jeopardizes this mission by almost putting it on or giving it up or just refusing to throw it in the fire. And after I put you in one of these moments with no context, you know, it's one of these low moments. It's, to me, a very cool part of the story. But that's all I'm sharing with you. How excited would you be when I say, do you want to watch 24 more hours of this? Because, of course, we're watching the extended editions.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't really be interested if that's all I was seeing. No.
2: And so that's what clients are living with. They're living with this one low moment. They're going, hey, here's this mistake that I made. It's playing on repeat in my mind. And they're not very excited about the story because it's not a good story, the way that they're telling it, at least. Right. But if we can look at their history, where did the call to this adventure come and the fact that you actually refused this call and then you were forced into it, how did this start to shape uh, your experiences and what's really difficult for you? So kind of in short, we're not very good at narrating our own stories. And so we can look at this um, you know, hero's journey for some, for some help in this. So I'll ask people who are, uh, if, we're talk, if we talk about depression here for a moment, Um, And I'll say, when you woke up this morning, did you choose to feel this way? Because that's often how they're believing that that they operate in their lives. Sometimes they've heard it from family and friends too, that they've kind of chosen to feel depressed as if it was the sweater they decided to wear that day. But I'll ask them, when you woke up this morning, did you choose to feel this way? Did you sit down and write out a to-do list? I think of the... The Grinch with Jim Carrey, where he goes: uh, four o'clock, wallow in self-pity; four thirty, stare into the abyss; five o'clock, solve world hunger, tell no one; six thirty, dinner alone. I can't cancel that again. Seven o'clock, wrestle with my self-loathing. Of course, if I bumped the self-loathing to nine, I could still be done in time to lay in bed, stare at the ceiling, and slip slowly into madness. But what would I wear? <laughs> And I love movies, if you can't tell, right? Jim Carrey actually has been a huge influence on, I think, my personality. Um, But but do they do that? And the answer is always no, because the truth of it is that when the call came, they refused the call, yet they were still forced into this journey. So we're not talking about this willing hero's journey where I said – hmm, what thing do I want to learn this year? And, you know, what can I do about this? And let's pick something difficult. It was, we're talking about a boy who is in a family with enmeshment or rigid family structures or who took on everybody's problems but never expressed his own, right? And so now here he is as an adult looking at pornography as a way to cope with this or we're talking about a person who's lived by the philosophy to do good always no matter the cost because the benefit you know that's a righteous cause do good and so despite doing good over and over and over here they are left broken and alone and feeling depressed or you know the person who is feeling anxious yet okay let me tap into my spirituality. And maybe now they feel more anxious because of it, because they're losing control. So we're not talking about people who happily, willingly chose to experience some hard things. We're saying, you were forced into this call in some way. Trauma, pain, family, this hijacking of your vulnerable self. You were forced here. I think that's really important to understand. Otherwise, we'd all just stop with our problems. No big deal, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, In the work that I do, I talk a lot about attachment wounds. And there's six of them, loss, neglect, rejection, abandonment, betrayal, and abuse. And those wounds usually are created when we're kids and we didn't recognize that they were created. We don't even really know that they're there. But then we find ways to numb. We become super sensitive. Sometimes we react in ways that we're not really proud about. Um, we do things that um, are defensive and protecting in nature, but do cause conflict and and hardship in our relationships with others and ultimately don't really get us where we want to go. But we don't really understand why. Like, why is that? And so when we start to say, hey, well, look, you have one of these wounds. Um, how long have you had that? What are the messages that you've learned about yourself or adopted about yourself because, for example, you've been rejected or abandoned? Um, what do you end up believing about yourself and how has that impacted your life? And what would happen if we started to change the story and did some wound care for you? What would happen? What would happen to your story?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's building a lot of empathy for people, right? for themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, right? they have to tap yeah, into that bigger story. Yeah. Yeah. And it's there. And, you know, and oftentimes too, clients don't uh, uh, really give it the weight that it deserves, right? We'll say, where's where's that come from? What's the story there? And they're like, oh, and they name off a trauma. <laughs> and they're like, but that was normal, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, well, maybe it'd been normal for you, but that wasn't helpful for you. That was hurtful, right? Yeah. So, so uh, one of the, the tough parts about Uh, when we're going through a hard time is that others in their efforts to help us will kind of uh, almost as if they enjoy watching us suffer uh, because they'll say well we need to go through a hard time uh, in order to really appreciate things which is true Um, but really if we look at it from the person's own view we see that kind of there's a lot of this distress that's going on in that struggle, that they really just don't want to be there, and that whatever meaning could come about is lost. But something that's that's kind of stuck out to me, and when I think about this, um, for anyone not familiar, I'll describe it. But I think of cognitive dissonance theory, which is basically talking about this: when we have an incompatible thought and a behavior, we get this discomfort. You know, I kind of think it's like when someone feeds you gross food, but you don't want to offend them. So you say, "Mm, yeah, it was really, really good. Uh, So it's this discomfort we get. And in 1959, they did a study on this uh, with forced compliance. I don't don't know if you've seen this, but you can YouTube it. And uh, the head clients or participants do this really boring study where you just had to turn pegs on a board for an hour for no purpose. And (laughs) they purposely made it boring. And then they took two groups and they paid one person a dollar and another person $20. That's the equivalent, by the way, of like either $8 or $176 for us today. Mm. And then these two groups, they would say, we want you to tell the next person coming in that this was actually a really fun and enjoyable uh, uh, study. And so they had to go and lie. Uh, Well, after it was all done, they said, okay, you can speak honestly now. Was it a fun and enjoyable study? And which of the two groups do you think actually found it fun and enjoyable? The one that got paid more money or less money? Well, it was the people who got paid $1. They found it enjoyable. And it's kind of the opposite of what you might think, but it has to do with, uh, they found that when we feel this discomfort between our thoughts and our behaviors, we ultimately have two choices we can either add information to it to make sense of our discomfort, right? Oh, why was this interesting? You know, they came up with some reasons. Or we can just totally downplay it and be like, oh, whatever, it wasn't really a waste of my time. But the people who were getting paid $20 didn't really have any of this discomfort because it just made sense. So if we look at our trials, depression, addiction, anxiety, relationship distress, there's a lot of discomfort here because it's not very beneficial. And what happens is we can either downplay this or we can add meaning to it. Does that make sense?
1: Uh, So it reminds me of the story with Viktor Frankl when he was in the concentration camps and he was watching the two groups of people, basically those who were miserable and most likely to die, and then those who weren't miserable and had a longer uh, lifeline they seemed to live longer. And he, as a psychologist, he was trying to figure out what was the difference between these two people. These two groups of people and the group that was thriving, even in this horrific environment, were the ones who had found purpose. Mm -hmm. They found purpose in what they were going through. And so they were willing to share their bread or willing to share their clothes or a blanket or something with someone else because they found that that was that brought meaning to their life and it actually helped them live longer. So, yeah, that that resonates with me as you're saying that. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: and I believe he said, the meaning of life is to give life meaning.
0: Mm,
1: Beautifully said.
2: So it's at this point, I think, where we get this discomfort, where we have to really kind of tune into those things. Otherwise, we're just being tortured. Because in our hero's journey, we've come to this point, of this this lowest point. Our mentors may have died. Our friends have had to go and do other things. Uh, We're alone in this moment and in the stories like what usually happens is that there's some kind of a death in this character either literally or metaphorically like death of the ego and they are learning this new lesson but what happens in real life is that usually when those moments come we just suffer (laughs) so it's kind of hard right going back to me talking to my wife I'm like and it's really exciting we go through the bad thing and then it's over (laughs) <laughs> and she's like, mm-hmm. "That's not how the last year has felt, right?" So, <laughs> no. um, so we can really suffer for a long time, and and so part of this journey is being able to find meaning in this life that we're currently living, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe I could talk here about about uh, uh, a personal story here, uh, Troy.
1: Sure. Because
2: I'm thinking about um, ways that we bring meaning in. And I have kind of found, uh, you know, I was like, what what movie out there, a book could I share? And I think it kind of just lost a bit of its power because it was someone else's. Um, So from my own life, I was thinking, and one of the hardest things that we've had to go through yet is uh, having four miscarriages in our home. And all of these were deeply, deeply traumatic for us. And we kind of were doing this thing, you know, here we are, number seven, pregnancy. And we're doing this thing. Okay, if we do it right, if we have faith, if we are open about our anxieties, if we're doing things to care for ourselves and each other, then surely, surely this has to work out. And if it doesn't work out, surely then we'll at least feel comforted, we'll at least feel some greater sense of purpose in our suffering. Uh, But much to our despair, when we found out that the baby uh, was not going to make it, it was the greatest horror, right? That we had to experience. All of that stuff that we hoped for in that doing good didn't come about. Mm -hmm. Months later, everybody else has moved on and of course, There's no funeral. There's no name on a genealogy tree. Your pain becomes taboo and a great shame if you don't just magically bounce back. And so Mm. here we are, and I'm watching my wife suffer, and I don't want to take away attention from her. And uh, I was really suffering silently. Uh, Not so silent, because as we find out, if you bury feelings, you bury them alive. And those feelings have a way of acting out through behaviors and intense emotional outbursts and such. And I started to find that I was very, very irritable. Uh, I was relapsing uh, in my porn addiction. I was consumed by shame. And I wasn't talking to anyone about it because I knew that they would just be too uncomfortable with it. And so I was mm-hmm. just being churned by this guilt that I wasn't a good father. And surely all the pain I was experiencing was every bit deserved. And it was a really low point because at this point you start to just accept, ah, I guess I feel miserable, but I guess I should just feel that way. I think that's the life message that I'm trying to receive here. And it's not a very fun message to receive. Um, Certainly not true either. And as I was suffering, you know, people did try to help me, I I should mention. uh, But, you know, it wasn't really working for me. And eventually, the stuff that I was holding inside, I broke down. And I said these words out loud. It was my fault. Now, I, I knew it wasn't actually true, but it was the story that I was telling in my heart that the four miscarriages that we had were my fault. Mm. And now by saying it out loud, I was able to see these words as if they had moved from myself internally, struggling with them, uh, to outside And so there's a way, there's an art to this. Uh, It was very difficult to say those words. And again, I say that they're not true. I know that, but that was the story I was struggling with. But in saying them, I was able to do something with it. And I was able to work with that and create some meaning of my own to provide a lot of necessary healing uh, for myself in regards to this loss and also healing and coming together with my wife, which was very, very needed.
1: So bad as you' you're talking um, when I do work with my clients that voice I, I give it a name um, and there's reasons why I do it but it's the judge it's very judgmental it's always blaming it's always um, condemning you and and what you said was beautiful and at, when you were finally able to articulate th- what the judge was saying, and I'll even tell clients, put it on a piece of paper, write it down, and then look at it. Step away from it for a minute. Just ask the question, well, is that really true? Like you just said, when you were able to identify, well, that's not actually true. The shame is lifted and you're able to connect with your wife, who I would imagine was experiencing just as much pain as you were, but that shame was preventing you two from being able to really be there for each other. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, of course, she's thinking probably the same thing, and meanwhile, Mm -hmm. I'm just you know spiraling downward, right? So, bringing this stuff outside can do so much, so much for us. But it's it's hard work because in that moment, what you're also doing again is you're finding meaning in this. So now that you've brought it out, you've got to do something with it, right? You've got to look at that relationship you have with it, essentially, and, and what needs to change about this, and also find that greater truth that lied underneath there, that it wasn't actually my fault, but the truth wasn't, well, it wasn't my fault. It was something deeper, right? And I needed to search for that. And so my energy started pu- started going towards that, and that started to change a lot of how I was coping with this loss.
1: What energy changed
2: yeah, it's. I think it really. If we look at self compassion, that's one of the biggest indicators. Mm. Yeah. So where you're kind of a, a bit, a bit of self-flagellation. You know, you deserve all this pain. Into like, hey, there's something really special about this pain, right? Mm. And there's something really special about this memory that I had here. Why did I go through this? Why did we ever have hope if, for it just to be? taken away from us there has to be something deeper in here other than to cause me suffering (laughs) right and so self-compassion started to kick in and that that really changed just how i could explore that now a lot
1: easier and again just more kindly what was the meaning that you came away from with that experience? I don't think it's a,
2: a sentence exactly, more of a feeling. And so mm-hmm. I play the guitar. And so what I did was, I'm I'm going to write this out. And I wrote this song in about a day. And throughout the day, the words were just coming to me. And great bursts of emotion would come with these words. And I was realizing, wow, I haven't actually acknowledged this part of this horrible thing that i had to go through and it start and i was like i was really purposeful i'm like i don't want to just speak all hopeful and lovey-dovey about this put a good spin on it i was like i really need to show just how painful this is and so i kind of stuck with that dark feeling but it was again through that self-compassionate way and so i did it through art uh right so in this case a song and uh you know lots of people have different i think we're all Uh, It just depends on how we share it. And uh, when we tune in with that, we're really tuning in with that healing part of ourselves.
1: So you wrote a song. Um, Is that the song you wanted to share today? Yeah. Awesome. Well, I would love to hear it. (laughs) Okay.
2: So I called this uh, song... Nameless Ones, and it's in reference to the four losses that we had. Some people say hope is never gone. Some people pray for a miracle. I used to think that way, but that day is done because I've named one too many nameless ones. I don't dare say the words when I'm alone, yet they scream in my head looking for a home. I live with that weight, and it goes unnoticed, turning back where I know, turning back where it's hopeless. Some people pray, some don't. Some words fall flat upon the stone, and you wonder how you could be chosen when all that you've loved is either lost or it's stolen. When you're lying on your back, knowing there's nothing you can do, When you stand and tell her lies so she's not broken. Like a hole inside my heart that pains at every beat. But there's a voice that whispers hope when leaving's worth it. When the lies of all your life come to a halt to face you alone in the dark. If I have learned one thing about making it through, heartbeats don't beat to make it hard. And that's the song. And then, of course, when I sing it, everyone cries because it's such a horrendous (laughs)
1: vocal. No, I thought you were going to sing it. Are you going to sing it? (laughs) Oh no, no! (laughs) We'll save that, dude. (laughs) I was excited. (laughs) I was hoping you were going to sing. I've heard you sing. I think you have a beautiful voice. Yeah, (laughs) that was a beautiful. That was a beautiful poem, though a beautiful song. There's a, I can hear the, the tenderness. I can hear the, the aching, the pain, the sorting through, trying to figure things out, the, the ways that you were dealing with it. Oh, it was beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us.
2: Yeah, thank you. And it was, again, uh, it was a really healing part uh, of my journey. So, And this just kind of comes back to this principle of meaning-making. Uh, say the words. Right. Or use that, even write out the words or put it in a song or do something with it, because regardless of what we do with it, it doesn't go away. Right. Right. And it's like people who say, oh, I don't want to bring up the miscarriages because I don't want to make them sad. And my wife goes, I'm already sad. (laughs) I haven't forgotten because you didn't bring it up. And so this stuff lies within us. So staying the words is really important. But there's a you know if we look at even a few examples from well TV I watched the show This Is Us I think it's some of the best storytelling there is out there. A lot of people that I know who do watch it um, have to take breaks from it because it can actually be so emotional for them. But uh,
1: yeah, I'm one of those one people.
2: Character- You're one of those (laughs) people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, me and my
1: wife. (laughs) There's all kinds of themes in there that I can relate to. Being adopted. Like, all kinds of stuff. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. me and my wife, we have to look at each other and be like, can we watch this tonight? Are we in a good mood tonight? (laughs) Like, where's this going to go? But some of the best acting I've ever seen. And Justin Hartley, I think, is the character actor's name, um, who plays one of the, the sons. And he struggles with addiction. And at one point, he's, he's just spiraling, he's out of control, uh, but he loses this necklace. And so he's, you know, you can't afford to numb out in this situation. You've got to go and get this necklace back because it belonged to his dad and he can't get it. And it, the scene is just watching this pure pain come out of him. It's just amazing acting. And in the end, you know, you're seeing him kneel and rock back and forth saying, can't you see that I'm in pain? and i've shown it to clients before just to kind of you know emphasize this point of like how are you speaking your pain Uh, because if we're again going back to hearing these stories where we don't really feel for a person it's usually because we're missing out on this core piece of the story right that there's underlying pain here that needs to be acknowledged Um, in jim carrey i mentioned he's a great influence on me Um, his movies, anyways. Uh, and I think about the movie Liar Liar. Have you ever seen that one?
1: It's been a while, but yeah. Before.
2: Yeah, yeah. I haven't watched it in a long time either. But, um, you know, the curse is happening. Now he can't tell the truth and he's talking to his ex wife. And, uh, you know, he's kind of failing as a father and he gets defensive. And so he it, it comes out so well because it's supposed to say the opposite, but because he, he's defensive and he goes, you know what? I'm a bad father. And then this moment of realization comes over his face. And it was really cool to see that because this, again, was starting this process of him realizing, oh, oh my goodness, I'm failing here and I need to do something about this versus the original defensive reaction, which was, you know, I'm a good father and we have to do all this kind of stuff. And we're not connecting with that pain. Right. So, yeah, this is something that, uh, you know, can be difficult to do right? But, uh, you know, it's, a nece- I think, really a necessary part of this meaning-making part.
1: I think there's two parts of that. One is that you're speaking your shame. So in that example, he's, he's speaking his shame. I, I feel like I'm a bad father. And I, I've talked on the podcast before about how many times when I felt that way, I'll reach out to a Matt in particular and just say, man, I'm feeling like a really bad dad and I'm just speaking my shame. And then he's able to say, dude, I, I've seen you with your children and I think you're amazing. And so just being able to reach out and get comfort for that. And the second part of that, as you we were talking, is having a witness. I know for me when I was in therapy and was sharing some of the the wounds from my past. And like you said earlier, not really thinking that they were that, all that bad it's kind of what I knew, but having my therapist say, wow, that, that was a really, really challenging experience for you. That was really hard. And having somebody acknowledge something that maybe I wasn't even able to do at the time was, yeah, that actually really did hurt. That actually was really painful. And having somebody be a witness to that, is part of the healing process not so that i can focus on the pain and 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 play victim for the rest of my life but just to have somebody actually say yeah that really really is painful i think that's the beauty of when a little kid uh falls down and scrapes his knee and then he wants to come and show you his owie and we acknowledge it wow that looks like it that looks like it really hurts buddy like you you know how are you taking care of it it's almost like yeah it's and he's excited to show you that and, and we didn't dismiss his pain we didn't say "Nah, that's not a big deal i don't even know what you're whining about but instead honoring that it helps us move forward but if we we can't see it and we can't speak it we hide it then we become stuck
2: yeah and it's I and mean, if we don't share it Uh, that shame could do a lot of damage to us. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that shame comes up for me is, you know, the mistakes that I've made. And they're usually just the little things. And I think about this job that I did where I did that mistake and it was really embarrassing. And it comes up in my weak moments, but I never ever talked to anyone. I've never even told my wife about it, but it's this thing that really eats me up. And then we have friends over and we're talking about these kind of funny mistakes that we've made. And just randomly, I decide to share this and, uh, And I realized after, oh, you know, as they kind of laughed at it and related themselves to it, I'm like, oh, it's actually not as powerful as I thought it was. (laughs) But when it was inside, it was like really, really powerful. But then outside, it was, oh, I can connect with people through this. And my wife's going, you've never told me that before, right? I'm like, yeah, because I was so ashamed of myself. Because, you know, when I was 16, I made a mistake. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't perfect. Uh,
1: Brene Brown, in one of her talks, gives the story about or the analogy of how if a a girl is in school and her teacher um, calls her out in front of the entire class and and says things to make her feel really small and insignificant. If that girl is already dealing with shame, when she comes home, she's not going to tell anybody. Because to her, that's just another example of how she's really not worth it. How, how really she doesn't matter, how she's not worthy of love and belonging. So why would she tell anybody? Because there's, there's no news there. But if she connects with, I'm worthy of love and belonging, and uh, that wasn't okay, then she'll go home and she'll she'll tell her mom or her dad. She'll say, this, can you believe what the teacher did? And it's kind of like what you just said. Like, I didn't tell anybody for a long time because there was so much shame. It's like, wh- why? Why was it? But then finally being able to speak it and somebody acknowledging, witnessing, oh, wow, that wasn't right. And uh, it just helps us move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So maybe uh, just to kind of finish up my thoughts on the hero's journey here, Troy, uh, something I've also seen with people, even as we talk about these good things, sometimes there's a feeling of uh, maybe confusion, uh, feeling lost, that despite agreeing with what we said, they'll kind of go, yeah, but I just don't know what to do right um, I'll share an analogy with clients and part of it is kind of identifying your values and what you're moving towards as person you're trying to be and people will stop me and they'll go yeah I don't know who that is right and I'm like well you just ruined my analogy because that was not part of it, but thanks. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, so I'm like, can I finish the metaphor? And then we'll get to your no, your broken soul. But uh, you know, we'll stop and we'll say, wow, really important. You don't even know who you are, that in the process of your shame and depression and struggle and the role that you have to live, right? You have to be this really awesome mother, even though you're feeling like you're going to die from exhaustion because you can't do this anymore, that the role has consumed you. And it's become more important than who you are, that you don't even know this anymore. So it can be really hard now if we're talking about meaning making and they're going, I don't know who I am. And the great thing, if we look at the stories, uh, the movies, the books, whatever, of this this hero's journey, is that meaning-making is a process of rediscovery, not discovery. And it's actually connecting with that struggle, with your unhappiness. It's connecting with your lust, if we're talking about porn addiction. It's connecting with your shame. If we're talking about, you know, you struggling, is oh, I'm a failing parent. And it's in there that lie the answers to our success. And actually reframing it as not the saying that life has thrown at you to curse you, but that your body's great way of keeping you honest and authentic, because now it's making you force, it's forcing you to look at those parts of your life that previously you did not want to acknowledge so for example that's maybe hmm i need to learn how to say no to my family because they don't have very healthy boundaries right and it's causing me a lot of stress right Hmm. oh maybe in here there lies a deeper sense of i want connection and intimacy as opposed to, oh, hey, let's manage addiction by putting a rubber band around your wrist and slapping yourself all the time, Mm. (laughs) because we all enjoy that so much. Clients are already beating themselves up, and we just say, well, here's some actual tools to beat yourself up with. But it's actually connecting with that pain that we can rediscover who we are. And so if people don't know if they say, but I don't know what kind of values to choose. I don't know who I am. You could just say, well, if you could choose any values, what would they be? And turns out those are your values. Hmm. So that can really kind of help people get a start if we're looking at. I agree with what you're saying, but I still feel lost. Uh, But just understanding it's a process of rediscovery, not discovery.
1: Steven Stosny is a therapist that does a lot of that kind of work. And I love how he tries to help the person connect with their core value. And when we connect with our core value, it does shift the way that we interact with the world. But so often, as you just said, the people are so uh, drowning in shame and their shadows of shame have hijacked their lives so much that they, they really can't see the light. And so as therapists, we start to help them pull off the shadows and turn on the light that's already there but they they haven't been able to find it for so long and that's one of the things i love the most about helping people on this journey of finding peace is helping them discover their core truth their core value their their worth inside the the truth that they are worthy of love and belonging and that they matter that's one of the most beautiful parts of being able to do this job for me I love it when I watch somebody connect with that.
2: Yeah, agreed.
1: Well, I really have enjoyed spending time with you today. I'm grateful for your willingness to be with me. Is if the, is there anything in for your final thoughts that you would like the listeners to hear?
2: Yeah, I, I'll just ask this question. When the chapters of your life are opened up, what story will they tell? And if you think that, well, it'd be a terribly boring story. Maybe some of the things that we've talked about here can help thicken the narrative, right, to give it some of that meaning, that that depth, that empathy, and also to help you transform into that person that your suffering is trying to help you become. So a good way to kind of gauge yourself where you're at your journey is ask yourself what people think if they read my story and if it's not enjoyable when here's some points about using stories to help us learn how to narrate ours in a, a more helpful manner.
1: I love that. And what comes to mind, though, is when I hear you say that is the immediate thought that I can imagine somebody saying is, well, I, I don't have any stories, Lee. I don't have any stories. Um, Matthew Dix, he he has a, a wonderful podcast that I can't think of right now, but I will put it in the show notes. He's a storyteller. He's a, He's also an elementary school teacher, but he's a storyteller. He's won several moth speaking jam contests. And he he gives this homework assignment to all of his listeners. And I'm going to give it as well. He calls it homework for life. And you basically get an Excel spreadsheet or sheet spreadsheet or number spreadsheet, whatever. And every day you write down something that happened today. Just something. And you begin to collect these stories that... Um, you may not have begun to notice. And he says, um, uh, an amazing thing happens when you start to write down these stories every day, you begin to see the stories in your life. And then it helps begin to answer the question that you just proposed of what will people see when they read the story of your life? Because you're writing it. You're able to see it yourself and you're able to tell it. And it's a beautiful, wonderful I- exercise. So. Um, Check that out, um, Matthew Dix's podcast, and I would encourage you to start writing down some of your stories. What are some of your stories? What has happened today that made you feel something or experience something? And it can be as simple as as, um, just tasting something wonderful, but what are some of the stories that you've experienced today? Well, Lee, thank you so much for spending time with me today. I am grateful for you and your wisdom and your passions and your gifts. And most importantly, I'm grateful for your friendship. So thank you so much for being with us today.
0: Yes, thanks, Troy. You've been listening to the Finding Peace podcast. If you loved the show or want to ask a question, let us know by going to troyllove.com. There, you can also learn about the Finding Peace five day challenge. Remember to subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss the next episode. And if you are listening on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating. It helps other people find this podcast more easily. Thank you for spending part of your journey with us. Copyright Finding Peace Consulting.